Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. Are you happy to be here at Trinity Community Church? So God is doing something. I just want to encourage you with this. Let your heart be open today. Don't be afraid to take that step. Let's see what God will do. Uh, before we get into the word, I got a, a few things I got to kind of settle real quick with some announcements. Um, as you guys know, we are right at the precipice of doing something really remarkable in our community. Uh, last week, we had uh, Peter Aline, who is one of our outside elders. He uh, kind of shared a prophetic word with us, reminding us to keep our eyes up and to look at the harvest that's around us. How many of you know it's easy to be internally focused? Worry about me, myself, and I, and sometimes we forget the world that we live in. Um, One of the things, again, when you look at Trinity Community Church, we are passionate about pursuing God's presence. You experienced that this morning. In his presence is transformation. But we're also passionate about the lost. Lost people matter to God. That means that they matter to us. The reason we exist, the reason we suck air is to bring as many people to Christ as possible. Amen? Ooh, that was light. That was like, you know, you get some of the light mochas. That's our core mission, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Amen. There we go. Hallelujah. So we have a, um, we have a strategy here at, at, at Trinity. Through the Easter season, we, we drop the nets and we bring people in. So before we do any of that stuff, before we do any of our festivals, before we do any egg hunts, before we do any of the other stuff, there's a component that the church needs to do, or none of it matters. That's prayer. Prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the church. One of the reasons that we struggle to do stuff in churches is because we just don't pray anymore. Um, So we launch, anytime we do stuff like this in seasons, we launch a prayer strategy. This Wednesday, we started our prayer strategy called 40 Days of Prayer. There's some paper booklets out in the back. There's also some QR codes if you want to scan it. You can get this digitally. Also, it goes out in our our text every morning. We need everybody in this room to pray every day for 40 days. It won't take you long. It'll take you about five minutes. It does a couple things for us. One, it connects us with the heart of God. The second thing it does is it connects us with each other's hearts. A unified church is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Amen? Amen. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray before we do anything, and God's going to meet us there. Now, along with prayer, we're going to do something very specific. On uh, March 19th, we're going to have our prayer furnace extreme again. Uh, That is our 24-hour day of prayer. How many of you were part of our prayer furnace extreme the last time that we did it? We house it here at the church, and we ask everybody to sign up for a one-hour time slot. And we ask you to come here and to pray for that one hour. Um, When we pray, God does things. So you can scan the stuff right there. You can also sign up at a sign-up sheet out in the back. I think last time we had just short of 100 people pray for 24-hour prayer for all the stuff that God wanted to do. It's going to be incredible. Sign up. Don't sit on the sideline. And then, that brings us up to Easter. This year for Easter, we've got, again, a four-prong attack. Things that we're going to do to uh, really push the kingdom into our community. The first is our community candy crush. What is that? That is when you can take a candy bag with some of our information on it. You can give it to a neighbor. We ask that you take one of those bags and you give it to one neighbor a week. That means you'll have four total, and you're going to pray for that neighbor uh, you know, all week. Last year it was kind of cute. You know, you give the bag to somebody else. You can't take the bags. How many of you know some people like to take candy bags? So we had a couple of our young girls that wanted to take candy bags, and they realized they weren't allowed to take them. So you know what they did? They just took a bag and they gave it to each other. 
Those are smart girls. They're going to run government someday, probably, right? So be a part of Community Candy Crush. Think right now of some people in your life, in your neighborhood, at work, that need to know God's love, power, and presence. Give them a bag of candy. Invite them. Don't be shy. And then we have our annual egg hunt. This is absolutely bananas. Uh, this is the third year we've done it. First year we did it, people in the community were like, well, that's kind of cool they did an egg hunt. The second year we did it, they were like, well, that's kind of cool. They, they, I think they did that last year. The third year you do it, people say, oh, that church does that every year. We just opened registration up five days ago, and right now we have 1,300 people registered for the egg hunt. We have so many that we actually have two sessions this year. Uh, uh, we have, I think it's a 12 o'clock session and a 1.30 session, I believe, or 2 o'clock session. What's it say? Yeah, 12 and 2, excuse me. Come and be a part. We are bracing for, I don't know, four or 5,000 people. It's a great opportunity to love our community. Now, we need your help with the egg hunt. First, we need your body. Come, sign up, be a part of it. Do me a favor. Don't be a mamsy-pamsy service person. Pastor, I'll try, but that one hour I served almost killed me. Don't do that. You can, you can live. You'll live if you sign up from 12 to like 3.30. Nobody's going to die, right? Come and be a part. Run a booth. Be a part of the food. Help with registration. Be there. We're going to have over 20,000 eggs. We need your help. It's all hands on deck. Be the church. There's a couple other things we need. We need eggs, plastic eggs, not the good ones, the real ones. We don't want those. They're way too expensive. We need plastic eggs. We need candy for the eggs. And then we need prizes. We need bikes and we need scooters. I had somebody come up to me after the first service and God told me I need to give like 10 of something. He goes, what do you need? I said, bikes and scooters. He goes, they're, they're yours. I said, don't get the cheap ones, dang it. Get the nice ones. We need your help. Come and sign up. Uh, and then after that, we have our thing that we do Good Friday. It's called The Way. It's very cool. How many of you have ever been a part of The Way? It's our interactive journey of the last hours of Jesus' life. It was so successful last year that it just, it was all packed. We had over 500 people go through it. It was so successful that we had to extend it. So this year we're going to do it that Thursday, right before Good Friday from 6 to 9, and then that Friday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. We need your help. There's sign-up sheets out there. We need people to come and help to set up stations. We need building hosts. We need all kinds of stuff. Come and be a part. And then finally, Easter Sunday, baby, the big one. Uh, we have been growing as a church, like, tremendously. Uh, we're expecting about 1,500 people here for Easter, which means this. We cannot get everybody in into two services. So this year, we're opening up a third service. Easter weekend will start for us on that Saturday at 6 p.m. We'll have a Saturday night service, and we'll have two Sunday morning services at 9 and 11. It's going to be amazing. Again, for Easter, we need your help. This is what we're asking everybody. Serve one, attend one. Come and be a part. Serve in hospitality. Serve in the kids' area. Man, if you got a tetanus shot, a strong will, maybe some body armor, get down there. Work with those children. We need your help. Be a part. Now, last but not least, we do all of these things completely free for our community. I don't want them to have to pay a dime for anything. That blows people away. They come in there, what's the catch? There's no catch. It's called extravagant love. This year, our budget for those four events is $15,000. And we're going to raise it. You know, we had a budget this year for our family fest. I think it was thirteen five. We ended up raising almost $18,000. You can do it. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God what he'd ask you to give. Now, again, when it comes to giving, you've got tithes and you have offering. Tithes is what God requires. Offerings is what God requests. 
Tithe is what we just give it to God. We don't think about it. Again, offerings is, God, what do you want us to give? So I just want you to shut your eyes for a second. This money that we raise for Easter goes right to all the Easter stuff. We don't take it. We don't take percentages of it. It goes so that all this stuff would be free for our community, all of it. Pray, ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what would you, what would you have me give? And then just do it. Trust. All right, you can look at me again. Um, there is a, uh, if you go on, our, uh, on our, our, uh, our app, you see the giving stuff, you'll see a tab that says Acon, just, just put it in there, or Easter. Um, God has been something very remarkable in our church over this last, uh, well, I mean, it's been over a few years, but really concentrated over the last three months. Um, sometimes we forget that God doesn't just call us at our best shining moments. Very often, we hear God's voice the strongest in our days of trial. How many of you know that sometimes life is tough? So I'm coming to church this morning, and I'm about three-quarters of the way here, and I get a call from the house. And my wife says, you got to come home. She says, one of our puppies just passed. You know, your dogs are like the family, right? You know, so I turned around and went home, and, um, you know, we had jacks for about 12 years. And, you know, I pull them up, and it, it, it just, man, it just hits your family. We're all crying, all the Harris's. You see a Harris today, put your hand on their shoulder. You know, it's a rough day. But that's kind of part of life, isn't it? Jesus never promised us, promised us that life was going to be easy. What makes us different as believers isn't the fact that life gets better for us. It's how we respond to life. Jesus even told us, he says, he says in this world you'll have trouble. But he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. So part of us overcoming trouble directly deals with how you and I navigate life when it gets rough, when it gets bad, when it gets terrible. I remember a few years ago, I was in Denver, and, and man, we were, our church was just exploding. We had three services, a Saturday night, two Sunday mornings. I'm a full-time pastor. I'm working about 60 hours a week. Plus, I'm coaching at the high school. I'm the varsity baseball coach. I'm the defensive coordinator for the high school for the football team, the, vice, the varsity football team. And I'm, that's another 20 hours a week. And I'm, I'm blowing and going, and I'm burning the candle both ends. And I, I got tired. I remember one of my elders came up to me, and they said, you know, this is, by the way, this is never good to tell your pastor. You go to your pastor and say, Pastor, you look terrible. You okay? Don't ever lead with, Pastor, you look terrible. Oh, thank you. I didn't realize I looked that bad. Thank you. I talked to my elders, and we decided, they said, man, you need a sabbatical. You need some time alone. So I'm sitting there, I'm in Colorado, out of my office window every day, I see the snow-capped Rocky Mountains. So I decided to go for a month into the wild. Now, I'm a mountain guy, man. I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a, a KOA camper. I'm like, take me away. I don't need any power. I don't need any people. Let me just go up there. So I did. I went up into the Rocky Mountains, and I found a secluded place. This is a true story. I didn't tell. I told two elders where I was going. And even though I only told two elders, I still had people in my church trying to find me because they needed help. Driving into the mountains, nobody ever found me, right? So while I'm up there, one of the first things you do, I mean, I'm talking it's a very remote area, is you have to find, first, you got to find, you know, a stick. This is actually from the Rocky Mountains. I had this, I found this. This is the one that you see actually in the picture there. Uh, and I remember I was walking in with it today, and I, some pastor, you know, they said, hey, pastor, what is that? They said, I said, this is a stick I got in the Rocky Mountains. He goes, is that a walking stick? 
It's too big, too heavy to be a walking stick. I said, this is not a walking stick. This is a self-defense stick. You know, if you're up in the Rocky Mountains and a Sasquatch or somebody comes out, you need something to put, you know, get away, right? Now, this is not going to kill a Sasquatch, but he's going to know he tussled with somebody with a stick like this, right? I keep it in my office as a reminder of my encounter with God there. I'm a pretty um, intentional guy. So I have all my stuff, and I bring all my books, and I bring all the stuff. It's like, okay, God, this is going to be great. I got all these books I'm going to read while I rest and unwind, and I got all this stuff, and I had all these things planned out, and I remember the first day I'm there. My camp is right by a stream of water. There's nobody to be found. There's wind blowing in there. I make a fire. I'm sitting there. I got my stack of books. I open up this book, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, TJ, shut the book. So I, I just, okay. Shut the book. Oh, I get it. We're going right to the Word. I get it, God. You're right. We're going right to the Word. It's going to be great. So I grab my Bible, open it up, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, shut the Bible. I shut the Bible, and I put it to the side. I said, okay, God, now what? He said, listen. I sit there. I hear the running of the water. I hear the wind in the trees. And I listen for like, 10 hours. I don't say a word. I listen. I could feel God there, but I'm not doing anything. At night, I get up and I go to bed. By the way, before I go to bed every night, I said the same thing. I don't know what you believe with creatures in the wild, but when you're up there by yourself and all you have is a stick, I would say this every night by my door. I'd say, hello? I don't know if you can understand me, if there's anything out here that can understand me, please do not open this door when I go to bed. I don't want to die. I remember the second day I woke up, went out by the fire, had my pile of books. I said, maybe today's the day I get to open a book and read it. So I opened up a book and God said, shut the book. So I shut it. I picked up my Bible and he says, open your Bible. I said, all right, we're going to get to the good stuff. So where, where do I go? What do I, what do I need to study? He says, open the book of Psalms. I still remember it. He said, read Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed are the righteous. They're like trees that are planted by the water. They're fruitful in every season. Their leaves never fade. I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me saying, son, that's how I want you to be. In every season of life, I want you to be fruitful. But you're not going to make it until your roots are deep into me. And I just sat there and I just cried. For the next month, God rebuilt my heart. Reminded me why we do what we do. And how important it is to be connected to the right source. So this entire month, we're going to talk about for us as believers. What it means to be rooted in Him. I mean, is it really possible to produce fruit in every season? The good times and the bad times. The times when it's just rough, even the times when you screw up, can you still be fruitful and be plugged into God? Yes, you can. Beloved, it is possible to rise above the fears and the failures and the weight and the noise. How do you do it? It all comes down to being plugged into the right source. So here's the question that we start with this morning Where are you planted? How deep do your roots go? What do you plant it into? Because let me tell you this, beloved. Your roots determine your faith. 
Some of you are here this morning and you have a weak faith. You know why? Your roots are weak. You're not plugged into the source. Your roots determine your faith. So where do we start today with all these things? We start with the only place that you can. What does it mean to have a strong foundation? If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. It's kind of cool. We actually sang this verse today. We sang about this parable, this passage. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus giving a story on how important it is for us to have the right foundation. He says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Verse 26. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds his house on the sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it'll collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished teaching these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Beloved, if you want to have a rooted faith, if you want to have a healthy and a vibrant faith, you have to have the right foundation. Now for us, that foundation starts and is built in one place. Our foundation starts with the Savior. It starts with Jesus. Our faith starts in one person, Jesus. He's the voice that we hear. It's his ways that we follow. Now, this is weird. Sometimes we have faith that has nothing to do with Jesus. Do you know that? We don't. Sometimes we allow things other than Jesus to define our faith. You know, some of you people, are you a person of faith? Yeah, what are you? I'm Methodist. I'm a Baptist man. You know, I'm Presbyterian. Most of you can't even tell me the difference between a Methodist and a Presbyterian, right? <coughs> Yet it's so important that we uh, can't meet together. Sometimes we define our faith by who we follow on YouTube or the podcast. Well, I'm more of a Bethel person. I'm more of a Hillsong person. I'm more of a MacArthur person. Understand this, beloved. All those people are great, and it's wonderful, and those things are great, but it all boils down to our understanding of who Jesus is. He is the bedrock of our foundation. It's just about him. It starts with him. It ends with him. John 14, 6, Jesus' his own words, he said this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is not a way. He is the way. He's not one of this pantheon of ways to get to God. He's the only way, and he is the foundation of our faith. That means this. If you want to be a believer, you have to come to the understanding of who Jesus really is. Do you know him? Or do you know of him? There's a big difference. I mean, do you know him? Is he a part of your life? Or do you know him because of what other people told you about him? This is part of your foundation. I told this story before. Like 30 years ago, I'm in a bookstore in Brooksville, Florida. A Christian, how many remember when we had Christian bookstores? He'd walk in there, Sandy Patty's playing. You could look at stuff and go, ooh, and pick things, you know. So I'm in this Christian bookstore, Robin and I are there, and um, this lady's in there grabbing some stuff, and she comes to me, she starts talking to me. She goes, hey, what church do you go to? I said, I go to Grace World Outreach. She goes, great world. She goes, that's a great church. I love that church. I said, I, I'm pretty fond of it too. 
She has a great church. And she's talking about all this and that. She goes, and they got this amazing youth program there. And this, have you heard that it's amazing? I say, I heard it's amazing. She said, no, yeah, I'm, I'm the youth pastor. That's great that it's amazing. You, know, you don't want to hear if it's your stuff. That sucks. Well, that, that's bad. And she goes, yeah. She goes, I love that place. She goes, that youth pastor there, that pastor TJ is awesome. I go, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, I know him personally. I said, do you? She goes, yeah. I said, tell me about him. Oh, he does this and he does that. I go, really? Really? Hmm. And the more she talked, the greater I felt about myself. It was great. I should have hired her as a PR person. So we got done. She goes, I didn't get your name. What's your name? I said, I'm TJ. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm the youth pastor at Grace World Outreach. <laughs> nice to meet you. She got red and just walked away. I don't know if she was blushing or she was angry. I don't know. Either way, she left. Beloved, it's not enough for us to know about Jesus. You have to know him. Know him. He can't be the God of your grandma. He can't be the God of your mom and your dad. It has to be yours. You have to know him. You have to know him. As a believer, know Jesus. Know the real Jesus. Now, in order to know the real Jesus, that means this. You have to have a revelation of who he is. You have to have an encounter. I can promise you this. When you encounter the real Jesus, your life is never the same. It's just not. Don't be content with just being on the outskirts of who he is. You know, we, we still struggle with the same things the disciples struggled with. We know him, but we really still don't know him. I mean, remember the disciples there with Jesus all the time. And they all had these different expectations of who he's going to be. He's going to be the great military deliverer. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And Jesus, he must have been like, Oive, guys, listen to me. Please. And he told them over and over and over, and still they didn't get it. Why? Because sometimes we like to, to shape Jesus into our image instead of taking him for who he is. Now, I thank God, 2,000 years later, we don't do that at all anymore, right? Thank God we just take Jesus for who he is in his word, and we don't take any, we don't manufacture anything, right? Isn't it funny how being Jesus followers can mean two completely opposite things? The disciples dealt with it. Peter dealt with this. We even saw it with Peter. I mean, have you ever thought about Peter, how incredible Peter was? I mean, he was an incredible person. He's an incredible person to study. He did some of the most amazing things that a human could ever do. But his faith was kind of like a roller coaster. Does that sound familiar? There's a lot of Peter in all of us, isn't there? Think about what Peter did. He preached to thousands. He cut off people's ears. Can you imagine that? And Jesus loves you. Ha! That's what he did. And every time you think you're having a bad day, you say, well, at least I didn't cut off anybody's ear. Now, if you did, find something else. Peter walked on the water. Peter also ran like a coward. Peter healed the sick. He denied the Savior at his greatest hour of need. This was Peter. He even raised the dead. Now, God gives us a window with all the things that Peter went through into Peter's moment of clarity. All of us have a moment of clarity. All of us have a moment of revelation where all the dots connect and everything makes sense. Now, what's beautiful is this. You know, because of the word, we get to see Peter's. We're like, we get to see the window of that. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16 real quick. 
This is Peter's moment of clarity. And you'll notice this about Peter. Even after he has his moment of clarity, he still screws up. Do you know that God does not define you by your screw-ups? Aren't you glad that once you gave your heart to Christ, you never made another mistake again? If that's you, please write a book and I'll buy it. He loves us in spite of those things. He doesn't see us in our brokenness. He sees us through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of destiny. That's how he sees us. That's how he defines us. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Again, they're doing the same thing that we're doing today. Who is Jesus like? Well, Jesus isn't like Elijah. He's not like John the Baptist. Jesus, the creator, kind of has his own category, right? Kind of his own thing. I love verse 15. Jesus says this, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now look at Jesus' response in 17. He says this, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, can you imagine being in this conversation, being in this space, and, and, and seeing Peter have this incredible encounter with Jesus? I mean, that encounter literally changed peace, you know, Peter's destiny. It shifted everything. Not only did he get to listen to a great teaching, not only did he have a, an encounter with God, but Jesus renamed him. He called him the rock, or to be more specific, the, the stone. Can you imagine what Peter felt in that moment? I mean, we know this about the disciples. If you read through the Gospels, they were always vying for position. Who's going to be the great one? Who's going to be, I'm better than you, you're better than me, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're always vying for all this position stuff. You know, now thank God, 2,000 years later, we don't vie for position. We take the lowest road, right? Now pick me, pick me. We don't do that anymore, right? That's facetious. We do. We, do. we know the disciples did it. But can you imagine being Peter? This was Peter's moment. Finally, Jesus acknowledged who Peter really was. Can you imagine Peter sticking his chest out? Did you hear him, boys? Hey, sons of thunder, did you hear what God, he gave me a new name. He said, it's all going to be on me now. I'm the guy, right? Big smile. He probably rubbed it into the other disciples, right? You know, and the other disciples thought they were high and mighty. Hey, by the way, um, you know what my name is? The Rock. Say it. Say, I'm the Rock. <laughs> You're the Rock, Peter. Probably gave him noogies and everything, right? Do you think this encounter impacted Peter even deeper the night that he, he betrayed him? The night that the rock crumbled. A servant girl made him crumble. Do you think he carried that brokenness and that shame with him? Jesus had given him so much. He even gave him a new name. And when God needed him the most, the rock crumbled. Does that story sound familiar? 
Isn't that all of our story at times? What do you think Peter felt when he denied Jesus? I mean, what was Jesus even thinking? What did he mean when he called Peter the rock? Now, that word, that word rock is, a, is an interesting word. When you look at the Greek word for that word rock, it's, it's Petra. How many of you old people remember old Christian rock music? There was an old group called Petra. Remember the old group Petra? Now, what's interesting about that word, the root word for that, 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 that you know, Petra, that root word, actually has multiple meanings depending on the, um, the gender that you use to describe it. Whatever the gender is that you put with it, again, Greek's built different than English, it changes the meaning of the word. So when Jesus renames Simon Peter, the word that he uses there with the masculine gender is Petros, which actually means stone, a piece of the rock. Have you ever heard the phrase, a, a chip off the old block? Right? That's what that word means. So by calling Peter the rock, the stone, he wasn't saying that Peter was the foundation of the church. He was telling Peter this. When you understand who I am, the Son of Man, you start to receive transformation. This transformation takes place, and your life starts to change. So you start to become like Jesus. Through the work of the Spirit, we start to become like him. A stone, part of the rock. We start to take on God's attributes. We're new creations in Christ. Not bound by all the old anymore. God creates us new. So Simon, the impetuous, becomes Peter, the steady and the strong. And when you look at Peter's life, the way that life ended, and I'll tell you what, Peter ended up not just building, helping to build the church, but dying for his faith. In fact, history tells us this. Peter was also crucified. But he declared, he says, he could not be crucified like his Lord, so they crucified him upside down. Peter, the stone, transformed by the rock, Jesus. Now, this is beautiful because it's not just for Peter. It's also our story. It's for us as well. For us, the foundation of our faith starts, it begins with belief, revelation, understanding of who Jesus is. When Jesus looked at Peter, he looked beyond Peter's struggles to his ultimate purpose. And he spoke directly to Peter's destiny. Now Jesus in that moment, in that, in that encounter, he spoke something else. He said, you are now Peter the stone. And then he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now the strange thing is, that word rock there, is Petra. The tense was changed. She's not the tense, the gender was changed to the female gender part of it, which means it changed the meaning. Petros means stone, a piece of the rock. Petros means the rock, bedrock, foundational, immovable. This is the understanding of where the church is born. It's not born on a person. It's born on the revelation of who Jesus is. That is our foundational strength. That's what sets us apart. Now what's interesting is this. That word Petrus is also found in Scripture. That word is also used to describe Christ as the rock. 1 Corinthians 10.3 says this. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock, Petrus, that traveled with them. And that rock, Petrus 
was Christ. The same rock. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Even in the Old Testament, it talked about it. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is he. Peter was the stone made solid by the rock. And Peter's story is our story. Do you know one of the ways that God describes you? Do you know what he calls us as believers? Ready for this? Living stones. You're a living stone. You're a piece of the rock. What is that? Can you, I feel like you're in a Greek class today. Can you guess what that word stone is in the Greek? Shout it out. Petros. You, you got it, Angie. Just speak it out. Just speak it out. First Peter 2.5 says this. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So when you put your faith and in, in, in your trust in Jesus, it doesn't mean that you just become part of the church. It's not just that you become part of this great family. I mean, that's great and we love that. It means this. When you give your heart to Jesus and you have the revelation, he starts to transform you to be like him. Living stones. A piece of the rock. That's what we are. That's important. Our foundation starts with understanding who Jesus is. Your roots determine your faith. If you've got the wrong roots, beloved, you won't have a strong faith. So a strong foundation first starts with the Savior. Second, a strong foundation is built on the Scripture. Look at the passage. It says this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Scriptural is foundational for everybody that's a true believer. It just is. You cannot be a disciple of Christ. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ. You cannot lead a spiritual life apart from the Scriptures. Now understand this. Can you get saved and never read, read the Word? I mean, if somebody, yeah, you can get saved right, right here and then and now. That happens. Salvation happens. The thief on the cross, we see that. Jesus looked at the thief and he says, because, you know, he said, you're the Son of God. Today you'll be with me in paradise. If you want to lead an, an effective Christian life, you need the Bible in you, baby. Scriptures, they take root in your heart. You need it. The Bible is more than a self-help book. The Bible is more than irrelevant stories. It's more than good thoughts and vibes. It is the spiritual food that you need to eat every day if you want to have a, a deep, strong foundation in Christ. But can we be real? You all know I love you, right? Some of you are like, kind of? Some of you struggle because you don't know what you believe. We follow people, not the word. Get your nose in the book. Read it with your own two eyes. Know what you believe. We struggle sometimes because we don't have the word in us. And if you don't have the word in us, you will not be able to repel the enemy. Sometimes as churches, it's like we're on this boat in the open water and the waves are throwing us around. It's like, ah, 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 ah. And we run to the latest teachings and we run to the latest stuff instead of being anchored with what God wants us to be, who he wants us to be. That anchoring comes from understanding the scriptures. We have whole denominations that believe vastly different understandings of what the church should be. 
because we really don't read the Scriptures. We have to change things. This isn't about theology. It's about the Holy Scriptures, understanding what the Bible says. You see, when you don't have the Bible inside of you, when we don't base our decisions from the Bible, we have a tendency then to make our decisions from our emotions and our intellect. And beloved, you cannot make spiritual decisions with human tools. You can't. You can't have a spiritual life with human tools. And we can't make disciples if we're not a disciple ourselves. Is that one of the reasons why we struggle to make disciples? Maybe. If, if you don't meditate on the scriptures, we start to drift. What did Jesus say about us? All of us like sheep have gone. Do you know that we can even go astray? Well, no, no, pastor, I'm, 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 I'm a rock solid guy. You know, I'm a, I'm a rock solid chick. I could figure this out. Do you know the world is constantly pulling on you? The enemy's pulling on you. He is. And his heart may not get you to do something crazy in a moment, but if he can get you off by a degree, those degrees add up. And before you know it, you found yourself in a place that you, want to be, you don't want to be. Have you ever found yourself lost? Usually you get lost, and it's not that one big step that gets you lost. It's just you ain't paying attention. You're doing something before you know you're in Idaho. How am I in Idaho? I was just going to the Acme to get, to get food. What happened? Right? I remember... Um, I'd given my heart to Christ. I was, I was saved for maybe about a year. I was talking to my youth pastor. I said, man, I said, I feel, like, I feel like my heart's drifting. I had all this fire and this power in me, and I didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm in school, and I'm playing football, and I'm doing all this stuff. I'm like, man, I feel like, I feel like I'm drifting. I said, I don't know what to do. And he gave me the best advice anybody's ever given me, man. And I've passed it along to tons of people over the years. He says, you know what? He goes, you need to fall in love with Jesus again. I said, okay, how do I do that? He goes, open your Bible, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He says, you read the Gospels, don't just you read the Gospels, you'll fall in love with Jesus again and it'll set your heart on fire. So I went home, I had, my Bible was a good news for modern man. How many remember the good news Bibles? It's the greatest Bible ever, you know why? It had cartoons in it. Honest to goodness, I mean, they were just little stick figures, but they, man, they kept you going. And I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it took me a little bit of time to read it through. I read like a chapter or two a day. When I got back, I could feel my, my heart was full again. I talked to my youth pastor. He's like, how do you feel? I said, I feel great. I said, but I got a problem. I got a question. I said, he said, what's that? I said, well, I'm reading about Jesus and, and what he did. I said, our church is nothing like what I just read. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, he does all these incredible things. He loves people that shouldn't be loved. And he, he has power and all these things. And, and I, don't, I don't even see it. I go, I don't know what to do. And he goes, he goes, so you're saying that Jesus and the church are different. I said, yeah. He said, who do you think is wrong? And I remember thinking to myself, I've, I haven't been saved that long, but I'm pretty sure Jesus is never wrong, right? Jesus is the only answer. If only he was the, old, you know, the answer for all of my trigonometry questions too, that would have been special, right? I said, I think Jesus is right. He says, and he just told me, he says, be like him. And from that moment on, I tried, I tried every day to just be like Jesus. How do you know what Jesus is really like? Get your nose in the book. You know what's funny? The more you read about who Jesus really was in scriptures, you'll realize that maybe the Jesus you're following isn't the same Jesus that was in the book. See how he treats people. See who he loves. See all those things. Even Jesus talked about the importance of being in the word. He said this in Matthew 4.4. 4. 
People don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and as you instruct one another with psalms and with festive praises and with prophetic uh, songs given to you spontaneously by the Spirit. So sing to God with all of your heart. Hebrews 4.12 says this about the Word. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's all the power of the Word. Be anchored to the Word. You have no excuse to get your nose in the book. How many of you got one of these? Pull your phone out. How many of you got the Bible app on your phone? It's a free app, so if you're a cheapskate, you can still have this. It's a great app. It's free. In there, you have not just the Word, but you've got Bible plans. How many of you have done a Bible plan in, in, on the Word thing? Right now, I'm going through the Bible in a year. I've read the Bible through a bunch of times, but have you, do you know how tough it is to get through Leviticus when you read the Bible for a year? Right now, I'm in, I'm in like the part where it's talking about, you know, if you accidentally step on a snail, you've got to bring, you know, two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm like, God, you got to give me revelation because this is boring. Get your nose in the book, and God will transform you. So again, your roots, they determine your faith. So if you want to be rooted in Christ, you want to have a good foundation, first, it starts with the Savior. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to have a revelation of who he is. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus before you leave, you can. Come see us, and we'll pray with you. You can. You can know him, not just about him. He's not a fairy tale. He's real. Second, again, if you want to be, have a good foundation in God, you need to immerse yourself in the Scriptures. Read the Bible. The Bible becomes alive in you. I love what Eugene Peterson said. He, he translated, he did the Message Bible, and he wrote this book called Eat This Book. He said this, the Bible is not meant to be read. It was meant to be consumed. Eat the book. And finally, if you want to have a strong foundation, you have to be connected to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, for us, our faith is more than an intellectual exercise. We are men and women of the Spirit. And it's a foundational piece to who we are. The Holy Spirit for us is not optional. He's not like, you know, do you want leather seats or cloth seats? Do you want power windows or roll-up windows? That's not how Christianity works. The Holy Spirit was given to us as believers, was given to us as a church, so that we could not just, you know, have our lives transformed, but transform the world around us. To follow Jesus means this, to have a life that is open and yielded to the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit in us is essential if you want to be able to hear God's heart to know what God wants you to do. And if you were able, if you, if you feel like, you know, the Scriptures are true when Jesus said, greater works will you do, none of that happens apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need Him. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is a foundational piece of what it means to be a believer. Your faith is more than just a test of will. Now know this, beloved, if you're sensitive to the Spirit, God can do amazing things in your life. But if we, are, if we lack sensitivity to the Spirit, Christianity becomes dead and cold. God gave us the Spirit, not just to do cool things inside of us and transform us, but so through us, God could change the world. 
Now, sometimes we struggle in our faith because we try to do things. We try to live this supernatural life in our own limited understanding, in our own limited power. A life void of the Spirit is like, you know, like listening to a music with earmuffs on. It's like driving at night with sunglasses on. Have you ever done that? I've been on road trips. I've driven at night. You know, you start out and it's bright. And then, you know, by 9 o'clock at night, you're like, I can't see anything on the road. And then you're like, let me try to take my glasses off. Have you ever noticed how much brighter it gets when you take the sunglasses off? When you get rid of those things that impair you, things get brighter. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do that. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms us. You need the Holy Spirit active in your life. It breaks my heart sometimes to see how the church is perceived in the light of the world right now. We're like these blowhards, hot air, with all of these archaic things. Instead of being this life-giving entity that brings radical transformation. Do you know why? We've taken our faith and we just stuck it here. It was never meant to be here. It was meant to be here. God does not use the best of the best. He uses you and me. Right? Well, how can he possibly use people like us? The Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a believer? First, he he teaches and he transforms us. John 14, 26 says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Galatians 5, and this is interesting. This is the transforming power of the Spirit, says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and have crucified them there. And look at verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another to become jealous of one another. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Is the Holy Spirit an active part of your life? Are you following the leading of the Spirit every day? If not, you're not living up to your full potential of what God wants to do with you. God needs you. His Spirit is there for us. And then we see this in the Scriptures too. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He empowers the church. So Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he says, guys, I'm leaving. He's probably like, thank the Lord. You guys drive me bananas. He's getting ready to leave, and he says this. I'm going to go, but somebody's going to take my place. The Holy Spirit. I want you to go, and I want you to tarry until he comes. So 120 of them go into this place called the upper room, and they pray. And wouldn't it be great? I mean, these people walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They knew how he liked his fish. Right? They knew his habits. You'd think it'd be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. They go right into this room, they pray, the Holy Spirit comes, let's get rolling. Didn't happen like that. They went up there and they had to do this thing called to to tarry. You know what it means to tarry? To wait and to cry and to dig in and to request and to request and to request. Sometimes we get bored or we get disillusioned when God doesn't answer us like we call somebody on the cell phone. 
Sometimes God wants you to tarry, to press in. So they tarry, and this is what happens. Acts 2.1. On the day of Pentecost, uh, on the day Pentecost is being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house out from the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering that, it all, that it's all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each, each one of them. They were filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit uh, to, uh, to speak in languages that they had never heard before. Can you imagine being there? This place is on fire, Right? Why do you think God gave the church the Holy Spirit? So that Peter and John could speak in tongues to each other in languages they didn't understand? Why did he give the power of the Holy Spirit? So that we could be like him and change the world. Well, how do you know that? Well, if you flip your Bibles over a couple pages to Acts 5, it tells us how the church is supposed to look, how we're supposed to function, what we're supposed to do. The apostles performed many signs and wonders and miracles among the people. And the believers were wonderfully united as they met regularly in the temple courts in the area known as Solomon's Porch. No one dared harm them, for everyone held them in high regard. When's the last time we as a church were held in high regard? Do you think that's a them problem or an us problem? People walk in here, they feel Jesus, they feel Jesus. How many of you, the first time you came into this place, you felt Jesus, you felt the Holy Spirit? You felt something you couldn't even understand? We can't manufacture that. That's just what God is. That's what the church is supposed to be. Verse 14, continually more and more people believed in the Lord and they were added to their number. Great crowds of both men and women. In fact, when people knew Peter was going to walk by, they carried the sick out to the streets and laid them down on cots and mats, knowing the incredible power emanating from uh, of him would overshadow them and heal them. That word overshadow is the same word used when the Holy Spirit came and overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with the Son of God. It's the same word. Verse 16, great numbers of people swarmed into Jerusalem from nearby villages, and they brought with them the sick and those that were troubled by demons. And everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone was healed. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what it looks like when a church is fully empowered by the Spirit. But pastor, that's, that's different. Yeah. That's weird. It is weird to think that people could come into this room and be healed. But the doctor couldn't do it. I understand that. But Jesus is the great physician. Guys, we have to stop defining God by what we want and take him at face value. This is the God that we serve. And I know this. When it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is active. He wants to be active not just in you to transform you, but to use you to change your world. Do you live a life yielded by the Holy Spirit? I can promise you this. If you do, your life will never be boring. I remember a few years ago, uh, we had a thing in our church in Wisconsin. It's called Time to Revive. And it's a cool, it's a cool ministry. We go out and we do street ministry. So I, um, I got paired up. It was me. This Baptist pastor was like six foot six. He was huge. And another dude. And we went out, and we're supposed to just witness. So we were the county seat, and... 
They thought it'd be a great idea to go witness by the prison. So we're there by the prison. It's an outside, it's a warm day. And there's a dude sitting on a bench right in front of the uh, Marathon County Prison. Now, this guy was a big dude. He was bald. He had uh, jeans on with a chain with his keys. He had a leather vest on. He had tattoos all over the place. He had a face that said, do not come near me. You know one of those faces? So, of course, the Baptist guy thought, this is a great guy to go near. So we went, and we started talking to him. And I'm sitting there, and, 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 and my Baptist buddy's in there, and he's giving him all this stuff, and he's found him. And the guy's like, I'm not interested. And then the other little dude's with him. He's screaming, ah, and he's telling him all this stuff. And the dude's like, I'm not interested. And I'm like this. Guys, I'm not a great theological dude, but I'm pretty sure this guy is not interested in what we're serving. And we're getting ready to leave, and the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart. And he says, look at his left forearm. I looked at it, and there's a tattoo there. It was a... Uh, I'll, still, I don't, I'll never forget it. It was a little blue box. It had gold wings and it had a name in it. He says, I want you to tell this guy about his tattoo. And I did what a lot of us do. I said, no. Because he's big and he could hurt me. I'm sure he's killed pastors before. We don't know about him because they're buried somewhere. He said, what did, what did McKenna say today? Take a step. I said, okay, I'll take a step. Lord, what am I going to say about the tattoo? He says, I'll give you what you need when you get there. Here we go. I look at the dude. I said, dude, um, I got to tell you about your tattoo. And he looked at me. Eyes just focused right on me. I said, that tattoo, I said, that's, um, that's for your son. You know, your son that died. I said, he was about two, right? And I watched this big mountain of a guy, his eyes fill. And tears start to stream down his face. He says, how did you know about my son? I said, I didn't know about your son. I said, but I serve a God that does know about your son. I said, and this is what God wants you to know. Your son is with him. And as much as he loves your son, and what happened to him was tragic, he came, he brought us here from all these different places just to be with you today, to tell you how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. He wants you to see your son again. I said, the God that told me that, he's alive and he's real. And I sat after that, that, that afternoon, and I held this big, huge dude in my arms as he snotted all over my Jesus shirt. It was, it was awful. He just wept. Guys, I can't do that in my natural strength. We have to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. I can promise you this. If you determine in your life to be yielded to the Spirit and take the steps when he tells you to take the step, God can do incredible things through you. But you have to trust him. So how does that impact you and us here today? Well, in about a month, there's going to be thousands of people here on our campus. Now, those people are going to be just quite an eclectic group of people. There's going to be people here that are lost, broken, hurting, sick, castaways, throwaways, people searching for the truth, people that have been thrown out of churches, all looking for life. When they get here, what will they find? Because we do something really strange here at Trinity. We don't, from the stage, point and tell and scream. We release all of you to be naturally supernatural. On that day, we'll have over 200 volunteers for the egg hunt. And all of you have been empowered, equipped, 
to lead people to Jesus, to pray for the sick, to listen to God's heart, to speak prophetically over these people. What will they find when they come here? Well, my friends, that's up to you. Where are you rooted? What is your foundation in? Are you tired of just normal church? Are you ready to be a stone, a living stone, put into that foundation? A house that God builds. You have to be rooted in who Jesus is. You have to know Jesus. Some of you, man, you've been coming. You've been on the outside. God wants to bring you close. He wants you to come onto the inside today. You have to have a revelation of who he is. Second, you've got to get your nose in the book. Get the scriptures inside of you. They'll change you. Third, you have to be yielded to the Spirit. Some of you have never yielded yourself to the Spirit. Today's your day. Pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to transform your life. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think I'm weird. I think I'm delightful, but that's another story. Bow your heads. I just want you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me, just ask him, say, Lord, will you really show me where my foundation is? Am I really rooted in you? Maybe God's pricking your heart and he's saying, man, I want you to start to get your nose in my book every day. Or maybe today is the day where God wants you to take a step of faith. And today, he wants to empower you with the Holy Spirit. You were born for miracles. Today's the day to leave just that practical to the side. I think McKenna had a prophetic word for us today. Today's the day to step into the water. So if that's you, I just want you right now just to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him talk to you. I'm going to invite the ministry teams to come and join me. If you need prayer for anything today, we're going to believe that God will meet every need that we have. If you need to be filled, we'll pray for that. If you need to know Jesus, that's why we're here. That's why we suck air. That's why we exist. So I'm going to pray and then I'll release us and you come for prayer if you need it. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you today. We're thankful, Lord God, that you are our firm foundation. You are the rock in which we stand. Holy Spirit, we're yielded to you. Do your work in us today. In your name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.